Hey everyone, welcome back for another episode of the National Fire Radio Podcast. Before we get started with today's episode, I just want to take a few minutes and talk about a few different things that matter. Things like thank you. Thank you to our community if you're a longtime listener or just your first or second time here on the audio platform listening to the daily podcast. We appreciate your support, becoming part of the community, and making this job better. And so with that, if you have any thoughts, ideas, critiques, people you think should be on the show or topics or ideas that you want to send forth, your direct line to the show is through our new email, podcast at nationalfireradio.com. Send us your thoughts, ideas, people you think would be good for the show, anything that's on your mind, send it over to podcast at nationalfireradio.com. That's your direct line right to the show. On top of that, if you feel inclined, please leave a review. Give us a five-star review. That would be fantastic, and we'd greatly appreciate it. We're working hard to gain your trust and to build a community, so any support that you can give us back only betters the mission. So we appreciate that. Like, subscribe, and share, and share this with your friends and talk about it because it makes the job better. Lastly, I need to mention... We want to talk about the National Fire Radio website, www.nationalfireradio.com. That is where you can get your merchandise that supports the show and the mission and the platform of National Fire Radio. Well, enough about all that. Let's hop into the daily episode. So thanks for tuning in. See you at the next one. Now, the daily episode. Our first sponsor of the podcast, Taylor's Tins. Taylor and her crew have been manufacturing helmet fronts, aluminum helmet fronts, Since 2017, over 200,000-plus shields have been manufactured by Taylor and his crew. Custom helmet fronts shipped within 24 to 48 hours. Whether it's one piece to a 500-piece department order, they'll get them out under two days. They're doing incredible work, 100% customizable product. Their product is top shelf. Not only are they doing aluminum helmet fronts, they're doing gas cards, playing cards, keychains, medical cards, and charts. Pump charts, street signs, custom signs, banquet awards, you name it, they're doing it. Go to taylorstins.com. And if you do order, use this promo code NFR sent me, all one word, NFR sent me. You'll get 15% off at checkout. That's because we have a strong relationship and friendship with Taylor from Taylor's Tins. They've been a longtime supporter of the National Fire Radio platform, and I appreciate their support and friendship. Without further ado, the daily episode hey everybody jeremy national fire radio back on the podcast today today's a very special episode third time's a charm i've been trying to sit down with this guy grab him grab him for an hour two hours and just learn his story because it's a guy that's a standout to me i see him all over people speak very highly of him none other than michael dragonetti mike thanks for joining me man Hey, Jeremy, thanks for having me, man. You yeah. make me sound like a rock star. Well, listen, I don't feel like one. But- <laughs> well, you should. You should feel like one because you're making a huge impact in the fire service. But I do like, I, I'm i kind of like a, I, I like to think I'm, uh, I want to be like Michael Buffer, you know, like where the intros when they come into the ring and I want to like talk people up and make everybody feel good and so on. It's but nice. I, I have to say this, man, you have made a tremendous impact on the fire service in, in a specific discipline and that's elevator and escalator uh, rescues and operations. And that is your bread and butter when it comes to, uh, what you teach, uh, with your company, Dragon Rescue Management. It's a technical rescue company that, that is specific towards the elevator and escalator, uh, incidents, uh, which is a, a super, 
you know, narrow discipline that I think requires the attention that you give it. Um, and I know there's a tremendous backstory there, but before we even get into dragon management and so on, I do want to just give a little background about who you are for anybody that might not know you. Uh, 28 years in the American Fire Service with Stanford, Connecticut. Uh, Stanford's a career department just outside the New York state line. Uh, 28 years there. You just retired last week as the senior firefighter in Rescue Company 1. Pretty wild. That's true. Yes, it is, man. It's, uh, it's humbling. The ink's not even dry yet on the papers, and today I believe you mentioned is the first shift you would have been back since your retirement. Your tour is working yes. today. My tour is working today, yep, boot three. Scanner's off. We don't want to know what's going on, and we move on. No. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to think I'm missing anything. Exactly. <laughs> I get that, man. It makes sense. It makes sense. So I want to talk about retirement. We're going to hop into that, but just a little bit more about you. I mentioned the elevator and escalator uh, rescue that uh, you work very heavily in. Uh, but let's talk about it. New York City, the FDNY Technical Rescue School. You've taught your discipline there. You've been a hot instructor for FDIC. You contribute to all the trade journals that are out there. You've uh, produced a training minute, uh, several training minute videos for elevator and escalator uh, repair. And prior to your fire service career, I mean, that was your discipline. And that's what you grew up in the trades in New York City uh, doing elevator work. And so it makes sense how you got into this outside the fire service Um Let's talk about this, man. Like, let's break this all down. Retiring as a senior firefighter, I think, is a fun conversation. But let's just talk about retirement in general. Today is the first day you didn't have to put on your navy blues. How's it feel? Weird. <laughs> I mean, there's yeah. one, one, one word, weird. Talk um, about yeah, it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still wearing navy blues. Of course, uh, we all do. Because <laughs> obviously I have to wear, I have to wear uh, you know, some sort of uniform when I go out and teach the class. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, the first time I'm not putting a Stanford firefighter uniform on, and uh, again, today would have been my first shift back. Um, you know, if I was still working, I, you know, uh, my, my, my schedule was today to work uh, this week on Monday and Friday. And uh, it's, it's going to take a little time to get used to. Um, you know, I love being a firefighter. I love yeah. being a fireman. Um, I, I grew up around the fire service. My dad was a firefighter for 28 years down in Brooklyn. Um, I rode out with him since uh, age 12. Nice. So, you know, if you think about it, I probably have close to 40 years of fire service uh, exposure, yeah. um, especially because I was a volunteer before I became a career firefighter in Stanford. Um, just the fact that I'm never going to put turnout gear on again, um, that's humbling in itself. Uh, I, I wish I had time to join the fire, uh, volunteer fire service again, but I, I, it's just not, it's not going to happen. It's not in the cards for me. You know, so many guys say that after they hit retirement, they become even busier than they were uh, when they were still on the line. And um, I think you're going to be very much that type of guy. I know how busy you are with your rescue company, uh, Dragon Rescue Management, um, touring all over the country and, and sharing knowledge and experience on an on a industry that you love and that you have an incredible passion for. Where's all that passion come from? All right. So it, it, it was by chance that I got involved with this. Uh, it's, uh, I have no problem talking in front of people. So I'll give you a little history behind um, my outwardness and, uh, you know, not being able, you know, being able to talk in front of a large crowd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was a, I was a DJ. I had a, I was a disc jockey in, in uh, Long Island. I worked the Hamptons uh, in clubs. So, um, you know, I, I had a, a, a mobile training business uh, being a DJ. So talking in front of people wasn't, wasn't an issue. Right. Um, prior to the fire service, I had uh, gotten into the elevator industry, and that was by chance, because at the time, um, my father-in-law, uh, may he rest in peace, uh, 
talked me out of becoming a New York City cop. I was uh, all set to go. I was supposed to start in the, the police academy in 1987. It was wow. actually July of 1980. No, I'm sorry. Take that back. It was July of 1986. A month prior to that, he knew it was getting close for me to take the job and start the academy there. And he was like, why do you want to become a cop? And I said, well, you know, my eventually I want to be a firefighter. Right. I was waiting for New York City to call me. I carry my time over, yada, yada, yada. And he goes, but really, Mike, that, that, that's not your makeup. I could get you in the elevator business. I said, what's that? <laughs> he goes, you're going to build elevators for a living. And I said, oh, that's interesting. And then he told me what we were going to make. And I was like, sign me up. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Exactly. That's how that started. So, um, you know, again, you know, from going to become a cop to, you know, getting into the elevator trade. Yeah. I, I learned a tremendous amount of information working with my hands. Uh, it was just fantastic. Met some great people along the line. So that's how I got started. And then what? So that was back in the mid 80s. So it was 1986. I started in the elevator trade. OK, that was uh, that was a wild time for New York City, though, and the NYPD. And you would have been coming into a department that was riddled with problems. <laughs> problems. Big time problems. Well, and again, stems the conversation that I had with my, my, my father-in-law. Yeah. You know, that, that's what he had said to me. He goes, with all the crap that's going on, why do you want to become a cop? Yeah. And I guess you know, my thinking w wasn't uh, enough for him to say, oh, yeah, that's valid. That's a valid uh, argument. And, well, you're young. Uh, I, I thank God. Yeah, well, I thank God every day I listen to him. And uh, otherwise, I would not be here, Jeremy. Where yeah. I am today. Yeah. Uh, there would be no elevator rescue training for me. You know, I would have never had that opportunity. So, would, would you have uh, even followed your fast track to the fire department, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. you probably would have went to the emergency services side and you probably would have stayed. I could have stayed there. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Yeah, right. Uh, I, I, I might have been part of that. Uh, you know, that, that could have been a possibility as well. But uh, again, I always had my sights on becoming a firefighter again. Yeah. My father was the one that uh, got me uh, hooked. That is, I mean, I the, I can only imagine at 12 years old, you know, your father letting you come along and, and hopping up in the doghouse and going for rides with those guys. I mean, that that at a, such a young age is so impressionable. And back then, the city was a completely different animal. Firefighting was so different back then. You know, you could yep. do things like that. What did that do for you growing up? I mean, did you just have this overwhelming love for the fire service because of those early days with your dad? I learned about the brotherhood. Yeah. I mean, the camaraderie that was going on with the job at the time, it was second to none. These guys just had a love for each other and it was just an amazing family. And that was really what, uh, you know, you know, got me going in this. And uh, I just wanted to be part of that. You know, even though I felt part of it as a kid, um, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't the same. I just needed to be in that firehouse and knowing to say one day, Hey, I'm on the job. You know, yeah. And, so and get into the job too. Yeah, for sure. So I mean, you watch your father come up through Brooklyn, right? Was he always a Brooklyn fireman? Yep, he worked in this uh, the same battalion for his entire career. Wow. Uh, he was uh, an engine company two fifty four, a lot of one fifty three. Do you ever you watch dogs? Got it. Um, you know, he's uh, he survived the uh, wall bombs fire. Uh, wow. He, he had just missed uh, as the ridge were pulling out. He he was working the day tour when they were going out and missed the run. He would have been on the roof. Uh, he oh probably would have been. He would have been burned. As a matter of fact, uh, one of the guys that he was relieving, he was actually detailed. He found out he was detailed to the truck that day. Um, and um, uh, Terry C uh, Campbell, he was uh, he went through the roof and he had uh, 40, 50 percent of his burn body, uh, his, his body burned. And my father would have been in his position, you know. Wow. Um, so, yeah, again, you know, it's it's fate. Things things uh, 
Things happen for a reason, man. Well, it certainly does. I mean, you know, there's stories like that. There's endless stories that that play out that way, you know, and it just reminds you of the of how fate plays it out and and how dangerous this job truly is. And and for you to grow up and to understand that and see that firsthand, that's wild. How did you then not? How did you find your way to Stamford over the city? I mean, obviously you were testing for the city. I would assume while you were doing the elevator stuff. Yeah, I came up short on uh, one test. Uh, they throw thrown it out. I yeah. was about 700 names away from getting hired, which would have been like being number one on the Stanford list. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, because again, you, you can't you can't you can't compare an apples to oranges with the size of the mm-hmm, job. Mm-hmm. Um, so that 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 got thrown out, and then um, I you know I kept testing. Uh, uh, I didn't know anything about any other jobs except for FDNY. Again, I, you know, I grew up in Brooklyn. Yeah. I went to high school on Long Island. So the only job I knew was FDNY. I didn't know there was other, you know, jobs to go to sure. test for. And it didn't happen for me until I moved to Westchester County when I first got married um, back in 1992, when I realized that there was other jobs that I could test for. Got it. Um, so I, it just never panned out for me with the FDNY. And there's no, you know, there's no regrets that I ended up in Stanford because my father told me fire's fire. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're, you know, whether you're going to be in uh, in Brooklyn or you're going to be in Stanford. There's no guarantees I'm going to get you to a busy company anyway. Because at the time, you know, back then you did have a little leverage to sure. your, your your son to get someplace. Um, and and I, I'm again, I'm glad that things worked out the way they did. Uh, I don't even look back on that. Anymore. Yeah, for sure. And so that so Stanford then, right? I mean, so 28 years, man, you've seen that city uh, change dramatically, I would say, in the last 28 years, no? Completely grow, man. Uh, just to give you just a, a, a synopsis. Yeah. So, and we'll just, since we're talking about elevators. Yeah. Um, when I came on a job in 1995, we estimated about 1,100 elevators in the city of Stanford. Uh, they got to have, there's definitely over 3,000 plus right now. Wow. So they're growing like weeds because, you know, obviously, you know, we have a certain border, 37 square miles, you know, from, uh, you know, Pound Ridge border down to the Long Island Sound. We got Darien to the east of us. We got Greenwich to the west of us. So we can't grow out. The city keeps, keeps growing. So the only way it grows is in the up direction. That's right. So so these buildings keep going up and it keep, you know, throw these high rise in. Elevators go with it. And, uh, yeah, so this, this city really took off. Uh, it is definitely the, you know, the, the, the graphics of the place just completely changed since I got on job in 95. It's amazing. Yeah. And, and I, I would assume that the makeup of the city too, meaning the fire duty has changed too. Oh yeah. We, we were getting pummeled when I yeah. got on a job in 95 right. for at least, you know, five years we were going to work all the time and, you know, because they cleaned it up and it became a, you know, a concrete jungle is just really nothing to burn anymore. Yeah. There's not, there's nothing to burn. I mean, we still get a decent amount of work here in Stanford, but it's just not, not what it was. Right. And so talk to me about your early days then. I mean, you went from, you know, that Brooklyn kid watching your dad go to work on a consistent basis. You move to Westchester, you end up getting hired in Stanford. You get there and you're like, wow, we're we're going to fires here. This ain't so bad. No, it's not. No, I was happy. I was happy. Uh, You know, and uh, you know, obviously I didn't start in the rescue. Um, I went to headquarters uh, where, you know, everybody pretty much uh, starts out and, I was assigned to Engine 6, uh, which we ran at the time at a headquarters. We ran two engine companies. Uh, truck 1 was out of there. It was Engine 1, uh, Engine 6, Truck 1. And then the rescue was in the uh, in the same firehouse. We didn't even have our own separate firehouse at the time. Um, so it, it was so much fun. When I tell you, it was <laughs> – you got to figure there, there's, there's four uh, – there's an officer and three firefighters on every apparatus in that firehouse. So if you do the math, 
it was crazy. It yeah. was just a, a, just a whirlwind of, of, uh, of, um, you know, uh, you know, personalities and, uh, it, it was just, it was so much fun and, and we were going to work. Every one of those companies, uh, in that firehouse was going out the door and, uh, we were, we were going to work and yeah. we were going to runs. It was, it was just a great, great place to be. Yeah. Totally now, great place to and be. then through your time there, I guess you did not lose track of your roots with the elevator and escalator work, right? So did no, you moon, no. did you moonlight too? Doing that work? No, I I couldn't do it. I had okay. to give up my I had to give up my car, Jeremy. And I, you know, I was a, I was a union. Uh, oh, okay. Guy. So it was the union. City work was was the union work then for the elevator yeah. and escalator. Okay. Right. So I did. I was with the International Union Got Elevator it. Constructors Local One, and they covered uh, New York City, the you know all five boroughs, New Jersey uh, to like halfway point down in Central Jersey, uh, a couple of you know um, suburban areas outside of New York. Um, so it was a big, it was a big local. We probably had 4,000 members strong in that local. And, um, yeah, so when I left, I had to leave the trade completely. Um, you know, and, uh, I, you know, I, I didn't do anything, but what I, what happened to me was when I went that transition from the uh, elevator industry to the fire service, I mean, we never, I, I never left the elevator trade behind me. Right. And I realized how much firefighters didn't know about elevator emergencies because there's, there was no formal training from the industry that they didn't want to train firefighters because they really didn't know how. And that just opened up so many doors. It opened up so many doors. So my, you know, my, my passion now, my teaching business now actually found me. It wasn't something that I was looking for. Again, I just wanted to go to fires. That's yeah. what I wanted to do. Right. Right. You thought I you were putting to be a fireman. You thought you were putting the elevator work behind you. And then little, little did you know that all of a sudden you still have this responsibility now of dealing with them even on the line. Yes. hundred yeah. percent. That's <laughs> you can't leave it behind, man. <laughs> and that class and that how that class started was, you know, I would I would never leave the firehouse, bro. Right. In that shift change, the guys would grab me because they were on an elevator run the night before or the last shift. Hey, Mike, this, this, and that happened. You know, what could we have done differently? This didn't go right. And I, I would stay at least an hour after my tour just to help the guys out because I wanted to see them get the information that they needed. I didn't want to see anybody get hurt. I, I mean, I could tell you, we've, everybody, anyone listening to this podcast or that's going to listen to this podcast has been on an elevator call where something didn't go right. The frustration level goes through the roof. And what happens is you combine your mediocre experience on, on issues like that. Because a lot of them are shut the power, open a door, right? And and you, you get the people out. But then you always get that one every every so often that really throws a kink in the in the system. And when you start challenging people and personnel with with a situation that they're not overly comfortable with, it can become even more challenging very quickly. And dangerous. Yeah, and dangerous. And that, and, exactly. And that comfortability right there, uh, you know, that, that's something that can definitely bite you. You think, you think, oh, this that can't go wrong. I know that once I open an elevator door, it's not supposed to move. Right. But then that one time it does because of something hidden that we don't see, that's when things can get bad. So how do we, I mean, truly then, you know, this is now happening. And that's the other thing about this too, is that it's no longer, just like you're talking about the growth in Stamford from 1,100 to over 3,000, it's happening in every single community from the most rural community, right? Up through the yep. largest cities, you're seeing much yes. more, there's a much bigger inclusion of mechanized lifts and, and, and so on. So talk to me a little bit about the evolution of that then and how important it is for us to really have a, a game plan and, and uh, operational procedures in place when we got to go to calls like this. 
Yeah, well, the day of, of you know, kind of winging it, and I and I use that expression often, um, uh, is out the window. Yeah. Uh, there's, you know, if you think about it, um, elevators really haven't changed in 170 years in their existence. The, the, the same components are still there. It's just that they're 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 trying to, uh, you know, the industry is trying to give so much floor space back to the customer that they have to change. Uh, they have to change the way they do business. There's no motor rooms anymore. Right. The main components are in the elevator shaft. They're, they're locating power sources anywhere in the building now with these MRLs, and it really challenges the firefighter. Uh, but but again, the main components, you know, relatively still the same. It's still the same stuff. Uh, but you know, you, you have to have a game plan and anyone that doesn't have uh, an SOP or an SOG, uh, involving, uh, this low frequency, high, um, uh, you know, high risk event, right. uh, you're playing, you're playing Russian roulette. You really are. Um, so there has to be a plan and, and, you know, that's, that's what we're doing here with this program. We're giving these guys a plan so that they can pick up on any unsafe condition that they can possibly uh, find and, and protect themselves and the people that they're serving. Yeah, this is this is one of those. I mean, this is considered technical rescue, correct? When we're doing an elevator? Uh, I, I would definitely go down a road. My, my, my job has declared this a technical rescue. We have to, other than um, turn the power off, open the door, and let someone walk off, it becomes a technical rescue. Anytime you enter that elevator shaft, you have to consider it a technical technical rescue. Yeah. There's, there's so many variables that we have to set up to make sure everybody's protected. Yeah, and, and I, that brings so much to the table, though, right? Because I think of, like, a small-town fire department, right? Small-town volunteer fire department who gets their first mid-rise or their first doctor's office and the uh, Americans with Disability Act requires now an elevator, right? Or even your local municipal building in, in small towns, right? Everybody had to put in, because it's a public building or their library, they have to put in elevators, right? And yeah, so all of a sudden, yeah. right? So the ADA compliancy requires that now. And so all of a sudden, all these smaller, sleepy communities are really starting to have this. And all of a sudden, you're getting elevator alarms. And then you go to three elevator alarms, and then all all of a sudden, the fourth one is 90-year-old Mrs. Smith is stuck between two floors. And the fire department, yeah. nobody else knows who to call, right? So it's like, uh, call call a fire department, right? Yeah. And and to have that action plan, though, I mean, this is, this is something that requires thought. It requires something in place to protect our people, but also to protect the civilians we're sworn to serve. Yeah, so it's on us. And I, I'm going to tell you what's happening, uh, and more and more often, Sometimes the building owner or the property manager, they're not even calling the elevator company for a stuck elevator anymore. Right. Do you know why? Do, 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 uh, do you know why they're not calling them? I mean, I'm assuming it's cost? Yes, because it costs them money. Right. They know that we're, we're relatively free other than paying taxes. That's right. We show up, we're going to do something about it. You know, and uh, again... You know, we have to determine whether we have a, a fire, injury, illness, panic situation. Or, uh, we use the acronym FIP quite often to determine that. And that was uh, uh, that acronym came up from a good friend of mine, Dave Russell. Um, you know, you, once you determine you have a, an emergency, we're going to move forward and, and step into action. But most of the time, it's it's not an emergency situation. They probably could have waited for the elevator company to show up and get somebody out. Yeah. You know, I, 
you know, so you know that that's what we're facing here now. What is it playing games? Yeah, what does it look like for you? I mean, everybody's response procedures across the country vary, right? I mean, some places it's a it's a truck company respond, you know, single truck, you know, uh, some right. places dispatch multiple companies and a rescue company in Stanford where you were. I mean, I have to think that you're the guy that wrote the curriculum. I know that the training academy there basically was built around your elevator shafts. If I know that story to be correct, um, and I know that you know you you do a lot of that. Team teaching there for for the city that you just retired from but what did a typical like elevator response for you guys look at was it a rescue company assigned yes yeah, so the, the way it works in the city of stanford um it's always been this way uh we respond with the first two truck in that area right and then the rest the rescue goes on all elevator runs okay um, there are a lot of the times uh the truck probably handle it by themselves right and, you know the, the 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 running joke is they call the rescue the big blue boomerang on elevator runs because <laughs> I like we just, that. you know we, we'll, we'll turn around and go back into service yeah right, not right. Needed unless unless it's something more challenging for the for the truck company but with eight people two officers and uh six firefighters you're going to handle pretty much anything that's thrown at you uh you know as far as stuck occupied elevator yeah but so it should that, that, that was our those, those were our run cards and again depending on where you are in the country uh you could get a single truck company that's going to show up with three people on it you know? Sure. Right. Um, to me, to me, that's not enough. Okay. Um, I think uh, what you what the response should be for um, other departments uh, who are listening to this that you need at least six people on scene to set up for the worst case scenario, which is a top axis uh, hatch removal. Um, and the reason why I came up with that number of six, two firefighters right away got to go to the machine room. That's that that's a gimme. Right? We always work in pairs, and we got to get up to the machine room. The other four are going to be at the elevator. Uh, to set up for that top hatch removal, you need an incident commander, you need a person working the edge, and you need two people to make entry. One to go into the car to do the patient packaging, and one to accept that patient that's going to be coming out up the ladder, out the access hatch. Right. So you need six people. And that's six people that are trained and fully capable of handling Handling this situation. Yes. Right. Yes, so sir. I would assume a lot of de- a lot of companies, then if you're doing a top hatch removal, I would assume that most departments are going to need more than six people because not everybody's going to be proficient Trained. in this discipline. hundred percent. Yeah. 100%. How yes, much has the popularity of this topic? I mean, I know you've taught at Joey D you teach at conferences all over the country. I know that everybody, I haven't taken your class yet and I was going to talk to you after this to see what it's going to take to get you into my area and do a regional thing. I think it's, it's super valuable. We're seeing such an increase in construction here that we are seeing that boom of, of elevators being installed, all different styles, mind you, you know, it's not just one style anymore, which is another, you know, interesting thing when you start talking about this is it's not just cable hoist anymore, right? Hydraulic, electric, all of it, right? So, um, yeah. And so to be able to do that, right, like looking at that, uh, the popularity of this class has had to explode as the population has exploded. Oh, 100%. I mean, I I started, again, doing this class back in 1999, and how how it got uh, started was, um, it was started with my job. Yeah. Um, at the time, uh, the chief of department was concerned about Y2K. It was coming in. They they they, they thought that the computers weren't going to recognize. Oh, that's right. Zero. I remember that. Yeah. We were supposed to get this whole giant, you know, power outage, and every elevator in the city of Stanford was going to stall with people in it. I remember that. Mindset. Oh yeah. <laughs> I have Y2K, man. Absolutely. What a 
what a big flop that was. Yeah, oh well, <laughs> nothing. So Everybody I, was holding their year, breath at midnight and nothing happened. Breath, exactly, and nothing happened. And uh, I just remember that that night I, I was working that shift. Uh, they put a second rescue in service and an extra uh, truck it's wild. And an engine yeah, right, just right, to right, handle right. it. And the, and the res- rescue one, which is my unit, Never turned a wheel. You guys slept well that night, huh? We never turned a wheel. It was, it was amazing. <laughs> I, I hate to say that. And again, you know, uh, you know, I always tell my wife that we're busy. Yeah, we're yeah, yeah. I get, 50, I get. 50 fires every night. Right, right. The bottom line was it was a big flop. It never happened. So that's how the thing got started back in 1999 was, uh, you know, he wanted me to train the department. And I had no idea about becoming an, uh, 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 an instructor. I knew I could talk in front of people and I, I, and I knew the the information from being in the trade, but I needed help. So it was a couple of guys on my job uh, that were really good instructors at the time. Uh, uh, I'm going to throw names out there. So the chief of department right now, who is uh, Trevor Roach, he was a big factor in that. And he was an instructor. He taught me how to, you know, uh, to become an instructor, talked me into going to be getting, getting my uh, instructor certification. I did all that. And then that's how the class started. If it wasn't for him, Kurt Semmel, another guy that was, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, big on getting me uh, to, to, you know, do the program. Right. Um, I would not be where I am today without those two guys. You know, they really pushed me. And, um, you know, and, then that, and that's how the class started. So it started with my job. And then the neighboring job found out that I delivered that program. And then it just started, you know, word of mouth, man. That's all it was. I never did any kind of advertising. Right. They knew I was in the business and they knew I was a fireman in the rescue going to elevator calls. And the rest is history, man. Yeah. And, and it has exploded, right? Exponentially. I mean, oh, without a doubt. I'm doing 70 classes a year, a year. That's what I'm doing. I'm averaging right now. 70? I'm already booking it. Wow. 70 classes. And I'm, and I'm booking into 24 already. And, and we haven't even started. And what do classes look like, Mike? Are they two days? Is it a practical? Is it so, classroom hands-on? I, yeah. So I offer three levels of training. Uh, level one is the awareness uh, class. It's a, it's a full-day lecture with breaks, obviously. Um, it's a full-day lecture uh, that covers everything from, you know, from A to Z, uh, we, we talk about the, you know, the, the design of the elevators, uh, the parts, uh, knowing everything you can possibly think of about, about elevators and, uh, and, and safety is like paramount that we push. So that lecture is uh, incorporated with uh, props that I built for the classroom with actual elevators. I basically take the elevator uh, to, the, to the classroom and then uh, videos that I've done. Uh, and I use the uh, training minutes videos that uh, that I, I did uh, for Fire Engineering Magazine yeah, yeah. Uh, in the class. So it's a very dynamic uh, program, and the guys get a ton of information just out of the lecture alone. I bet. But then we take it. Then we take it to this uh, to the next level. And obviously, uh, you know, just looking at a uh, listening to someone talk and looking at a PowerPoint program, you really need to touch stuff. You need to get your hands on stuff. So that came the, the hands on portion, and we do a. The operations level you can go to is uh, it's all hands on on the second day. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we cover manually lowering a hydraulic elevator to use to your advantage because the safest way to take someone out is floor level through the normal entranceway. If you can't get the elevator to do it by itself and it's a hydro, we can make that happen. It's there for firefighter use because it's properly marked and clearly marked. Uh, we go over um, use of keys and other options. Uh, if you don't have a keyhole present on a, on a floor or something's broken on an elevator door lock. You need other means of uh, getting in without dragging in the purse tool <laughs> and forcing yeah. an elevator door, which I see all the time. I make fun of this. Uh, but again, firemen don't know what they don't know, but there are better options. There's, yeah. there's, there's, there's safer options of manually uh, accessing through that. We go over uh, you know, your worst case scenario, top access hatch removal. We'll uh, show you how to set up a uh, belay system 
Very simple. You don't have to be a rogue genius to figure it out. And uh, we'll set you up and uh, show you how to do a top hatch removal. And then uh, part of that also of the hands-on is we take you through both types of elevators and we give you a full tour um, on the equipment. And, uh, you know, we, we discuss, uh, you know, safety around that equipment so you don't get yourself jammed up. Yeah. The importance. So that's the operations level. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Keep going. So the last day, which is the day three, uh, that's technician. Uh, that covers any kind of catastrophic uh, emergency that could be thrown at you outside of the worst case scenario of taking someone out to a top hatch. Uh, basically an elevator trapped in a blind shaft where there's no access to get someone out through the normal entrance way. We'll show you how to set up for that type of removal. God forbid somebody falls down the elevator shaft um, and gets pinned or an elevator mechanic goes down with an emergency. Uh, we cover everything from A to Z, and that's a standalone program, uh, especially if you got a compromised elevator and you have to uh, secure that elevator mechanically. We show you how to do that as well. So that's the standalone uh, technician day. Yeah, there's there's a lot there, man. That is, is man. That, that's is. a lot packed into a little, I feel, you know, but uh, obviously you got to deliver it in a, in, a, in a timely fashion. But, you know, I have to think yeah. that a lot of departments probably do refreshers with you as well. Right. Or, uh, you know, Every year. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. The, I find it to be interesting. I feel like it's one of those topics that's like like sleepy. Like guys are like, yeah, what what's the big deal, right? We go to we go to hundreds of these a day or hundreds of these a month, you know, dad, especially in a downtown district or something like that where companies are constantly doing elevators and so on. And a lot of times it is just bread and butter, right? Until until you get to that one that's that throws that curve to you, like we mentioned before. And I think that's where the importance of having, you know, I where I'm headed with this is the importance of being mechanically inclined even before taking your class, like understanding the basics of, you know, electric and hydraulics. Right. And, and things like that. Yeah. That's, that is huge to have that as a background, no doubt. And, and that's where I think we got to take advantage of the people within our companies and our departments, right. That have maybe a background in some of these things where they might be able to, to come a little bit forward in their training and to latch on to say something like this and where they can become a true resource. Cause not everybody has information or the ability to comprehend like people that are really mechanically inclined. Right. And so, and what I'm also finding Jeremy, and I'm sure guys that are listening and yourself, uh, Anybody who's been in the fire service for, uh, you know, multiple years, like I, I've been, again, I've been in the fire service for close to 40 years. Um, the trade is a, uh, is a dinosaur now. Yeah, Anybody is. coming in with the trade experience, it, it, it's like a dinosaur Yeah. Uh, that you can find somebody like that. Uh, nobody, nobody, nobody does hands-on jobs anymore. And that, that is hurting the fire service, in my opinion. Yeah, and that's kind of where I was taking this conversation because I, I, I was hoping you were going to come with me on this, you know, this journey of the conversation. But oh, yeah. that, I'm there. That's where, that's where I think your training is becoming more and more important. Right. Because as systems get more complicated, now you start talking about variable frequency drives and you start talking about different things that are involved uh, in in in, a, in mechanicals like this. If you don't have the basics coming into it, not only do you have to learn the advanced, but you got to learn the basics, too. Yeah, without a doubt. And you can get hurt without without the proper knowledge. And as we know, knowledge is power. The more information that you can absorb on, uh, you know, and again, we're just talking about elevators yeah, right now. Yeah, right. Um, the, the safer the operation is going to be. There's no two ways about it. And the, and the goal of my program is for you as a firefighter to pick up on an unsafe condition and say to yourself, you know what, maybe we shouldn't go further. Maybe we should wait for the elevator mechanic before somebody else gets hurt. That's a great point, Mike. I didn't even think of that, but recognizing when you're in over your head. 
You have to. And we have to work inside our scope of training as well. And, and, and a lot of a lot of guys I find that don't follow those rules either. Uh, my biggest advice to anyone is that you do always work in your scope of training. Never work outside of that because not only can someone get hurt, but the lawyers are going to have a field day with you when they find out you did something you weren't supposed to. A hundred percent, man. I just wrote that down. Learn when you're in over your head. I think too often yep. in the fire service, we like to bury our head in the sand and pretend that we know everything and we know what we're and doing. We and don't. I, no. No, you do no, not. No, we don't. No. And one thing, and I'll share something else with you. Uh, you know, we used to use the the the, uh, the saying that firefighters were jacks of all trades. Yeah. Um, that has to go out the window, what the what a firefighter actually is. And um I'm trying to remember who actually stated this where uh, about what I'm going to say, and I can't think off the top of my head who it was. It was an instructor from Westchester County Training Center. Um, what we are are professional problem solvers. So, with that said, if you know, if we're if we're uh, if we're there to uh, to solve a problem, if we become the problem, we're not doing anything. We're not doing anything. So, we need to really educate ourselves. And, that, and, and that's going to help us. That's going to help us become that professional problem solver. A hundred percent. I mean, knowledge is more important now than ever, especially when the job's getting more and more complicated. I, c- I couldn't agree with you more. Um, talk to me then about what 70 lectures and conferences a year. You're already probably booking out 24, I would imagine. Yep. Right. I am. How mm-hmm. do you juggle this? I mean, you and I, before I hit the record button uh, this morning, you know, you and I were talking about our calendars and, you know, after retirement, sometimes you become even busier. And I think that this is an important conversation. and I'd love to have it with you about how we manage our time when you're in the firehouse and juggling uh, full time outside also. And yeah. the stresses that come with that, because I thought that was a really interesting conversation that you and I had before we hit record. So talk to me a little bit about that because you are a busy man. I'm a busy man. And I I talked about how I have to keep a paper calendar in front of me that is constantly moving, meaning I'm constantly crossing, erasing, writing in, and so on. And I have to be upfront and honest with my wife once a week about my scheduling so she understands what my week, what my month looks like. How did you balance all this for 28 years, man? Because I know how popular Dragon Rescue Management is. So how did you do it? Well, it wasn't easy. Um, yeah. And again, my, my my biggest relief right now, and I hate to say this, was I had to retire. I, I threw my papers in last week, and it wasn't it wasn't an easy decision. Yeah. But the hardest thing for me was, you know, again, I use the example. I, I like I said, I, I just recently got. I was in Austin, Texas, for eight straight days of training in 107 degree weather. Wow. And we were there every day, you know, you know, training that in, uh, that department in that in that region. And I remember I had to go the day I was flying back. I had to go to work the next day and I had no, I, I couldn't get the day off. There was just, there, there was no room. We're, we're down a tremendous amount of people on right. the Stanford fire department. Yep. So the overtime is through the roof. They're holding shifts over. So there was no one that could help me. And I remember flying back that day, the, my flight was delayed two hours. I didn't get home until one o'clock in the morning. And I had to be in the firehouse at 7 a.m. the next day. On your A game. On my A game. And it, I got to tell you, it, was, it wasn't easy. Right. Thank God we didn't go to any jobs that day. But, again, I had to be on my A game. And yeah. I, I realized at that moment that I had, to, uh, I had to pull the plug on the fire service because I don't, I don't want to give up the training, the, uh, the training because 
firefighters need this training. Yeah. And again, you know, what, what, what good would it have been for me to stay as a firefighter, you know, maybe for another four years or so, and then just completely give this up. And I, I had to make that decision. Uh, so other than that, you know, that was the first step. And as I was going as a firefighter, I, as we talked, a paper calendar is huge. Yeah. Um, I can't do it on a cell phone anymore. It's I can't either. Hand. Yeah. I have to physically, I have to physically see it and pull the calendar up. And, you know, when I'm booking stuff, I'm looking to make sure that I got at least a couple of days off in between, but it's definitely going to get easier for me now. You know, there's no doubt. And um, I've got a super awesome crew behind me. Yeah. Nice. I got to tell you, my guys are fantastic. Um, I have guys uh, that have elevator experience that, that are, uh, that are teaching with me. Uh, they're still involved with the business. Um, uh, and then, uh, you know, I'm looking to hire more people because, uh, again, I'm going to get to the point now where I'm going to have to have multiple classes going on at one time where I'm going to be at one. And then I got to send somebody that has the same similar background as me to uh, another job. So how, it's really starting to expand. How hard is that, though? And I, uh, meaning, you know, Mike Dragonetti is is or was he is Dragon Rescue, right? So do you find that people are getting torn if they don't get you? Because I'm starting to find that as, as we do more yes. work with national fire radio, everybody's expecting me all the time. And I'm like, well, I, I can't be everywhere at one time. You got to trust my people too. And my people right. represent my vision and my beliefs. So are you, are you feeling that struggle? Yeah. And, uh, and I really have to sell them on the idea that the people I'm going to send there is not just someone I pulled out of my hip pocket. Exactly. That they're, they're going to give the same thing. So yeah. You know exactly where I'm coming from. Yeah, I that. do. So I do. We're getting to that point now where they're starting to trust, uh, you know, my, my recommendation. And again, it's not someone that I'm going to just send there, uh, you know, just to fill the spot. It's going to be someone that has the same background that I have. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think that's powerful. And that's why I kind of bring that up is, you know, we're talking about your training company and how busy you are. And as you scale accordingly, now that you're retired, you know, you're you're going to be able, you need to be able to lean on people that are going to be able to represent, you know, the best in the training that you offer. So, I mean, that's super important. Talk to me a little bit about, and I think this is the, this is a fascinating part. You mentioned that in your early days in Brooklyn, riding with your dad, what you really got out of that was the camaraderie and brotherhood that the fire service represented, right? And back then in the yeah. 80s, I mean, it just, it was bubbling over with guys, uh, you know, just giants, right? Guys that were just, you know, not only were they sensational firefighters and loved the job, but they loved each other, right? Yes. Over yeah. the over your years, I know just through other conversations with you, you talk about all the contacts you've made, the friends you've made across the world, right? And and a lot yeah. of that has to do not just with Stanford, but obviously with Dragon Rescue. And so I know you do a tremendous amount of work in New York City. I know you have stories about, you know, people that you know and have worked with and you call, you know, good friends. What does that do for you? Have you ever taken that step back and just just smiled, just take the, just for five minutes, take it in about what you've been able to build over the last 40 years. And I do. Um, That's I, awesome. I, I, if it wasn't, if it wasn't for my father being affiliated with the FDNY and spent 28 years, um, my program would not be where it is today. I would have never got into the FDNY uh, training uh, at the, at the uh, um, at the rescue school yeah. back in two. And I did that for a good, a good amount of years. I did it from 2002 to 2005. It was right after nine 11. And they took, obviously they took a, a big hit and they had to replace the members that they lost. And we had to train them. And, uh, you know, they brought me in, uh, you know, for that, but it was, it was by chance how, how I got myself in there. My father was at a retirement party 
and he ran into a, an old friend of his, uh, 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 um, Joe Russo. Joe Russo was a captain in his old firehouse in Engine 254. And Joe was doing some uh, training down at Randall's Island on a lightweight building construction. And my father said, oh, Joe, you, you, you know, you're, you're an instructor? He goes, my, my, my kid is too, my, you know, Mike. He goes, oh, Mike's doing that? He goes, what's he doing? He's doing elevator emergencies. He's teaching firemen how to get people out of stuck elevators. And he goes, oh my God, we need that at the FDNY. <laughs> we don't really have a good, good program. And that's how the whole thing got started. Wow. Yeah. And I remember the first delivery, Jeremy, was wild. Um, <laughs> Joe called me up and he said, Would you be interested in doing a drill down at uh, down at Avenue Hill? Would you come and come and do a you know, bring your stuff? And would you uh, be interested in doing a class in the back of the firehouse? So again, engine two fifty four had a, has a truck and an engine, right? We're right. fifty three and two fifty four. Uh twelve guys. Okay. So I thought I was only getting 12 guys in the kitchen because the kitchen's tiny. And sure. they, have a, uh, they had a racquetball court out back where I set my props on. So I was going to do the, the PowerPoint with them, go over stuff. And then we were going to spill out and just do some hands-on stuff on the, power, uh, on the racquetball court. He calls me the night before and says, hey, Mike, he goes, I'm going uh, to invite a few extra guys down. Uh, the division chief wants to come. Rescue <laughs> two is going to be there. Squad one is going to be there. And I, uh, I opened it up to the rest of the battalion. Yeah, no pressure. So, no pressure. No pressure at all. But now it's in the middle of August, Jeremy, that we're doing this class, and there's 45 guys in this kitchen. Oh my god! And you could hear a pin drop. Oh my god! So it was it was a humbling thing, and that again, if it wasn't for that, that it would have never got started. Uh, even to go a little further on this, and if I'm yeah, rambling, no, 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 me. go, 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 go. So Joe Russo, after he. The, the class was delivered. He goes, I'm going to hook you up with a couple guys in sock. They really could use this training. Um, hooks me up with Captain Terry Hatton. Yeah. And I never got a chance to meet the guy. Um, I get choked up thinking about it. Um, he, we had numerous phone conversations. Uh, he wanted to get this program in uh, uh, so desperately. He had some ideas himself and we were throwing stuff back and forth. And, um, I, again, I never got a chance to meet this, uh, meet him. But you know, when 9/11 happened, um, I was supposed to be with him um, going over this class. He invited me down to the firehouse. He was working a day tour. Um, told me that we'd uh, go. They, they were, were going to do a drill. He told me to bring my gear with me. Uh, and then at the end of the day, after everything was done and we settled down around three, four o'clock, we were going to sit down and we were going to discuss the program. And the night before that happened. Um, I find out that I have nobody to take my two young kids uh, off the bus from school. Mm. So if it wasn't for my kids, um, yeah. I wouldn't be I, I wouldn't be alive today because I would I would have been down there. Um, so again, fate, wow. fate takes over and things just happen, and, and that was a powerful thing for me. Man. It was, yeah, it was totally and powerful. it should be said, you know, Terry Hatton was uh, a, a huge uh, personality on the job, captain of Rescue Company One in Manhattan. Uh, who perished yeah. on nine eleven that day, and um, you know his his love was insatiable for the job. Like he he trained. That's Incredible. all they did, and um, and so on. So anybody listening to this podcast, if you don't know who Terry Hatton is, you need to do some homework and uh, and learn because he's one of those guys that is a standout in this industry and it made you know huge strides in in the American Fire Service. Um, Mike, that's that's powerful, man. That is powerful. It goes, you know, I, I can take it even a, a, a step further. So not only did I have to cancel my, uh, you know, my trip to go see him um, at the time, 
I had another guy, and again, it's kind of a, a, a like a weird uh, setup, but I had, I had a, a guy from the elevator industry that helped me design the program who was uh, working for uh, the Schindler Elevator Company. Yeah. And I wanted him at the meeting with me uh, to see, uh, to meet Terry Hatton. And he couldn't make it. So I had thought to myself, all right, well, you know what? We'll push it off to another day when you're available and when Terry's working and we'll go back down to rescue one. So I had canceled, uh, we had canceled that. And then I set up an appointment with a resident elevator mechanic uh, that worked in Tower 2 um, at the Trade Center. Yeah. And he was supposed to put us on top of an elevator so that we could go and take pictures of these access panels in this blind shaft elevator. Because uh, there, were, there, were, uh, there was some discussion between me and Terry Hatton about access panels and how to open those up and take pictures of them. Right. So, again, I cheated death again a second time because of my kids the night before my plan was now I was going to go down to trade center two, meet this guy, the elevator mechanic from ACE elevator. We we're going to take our pictures. And then Andy was going to meet me after work to meet Terry Hatton um, at the firehouse. So I would have been on top of tower two when those planes hit, if that would have went forward. Wow. So let that sink in for a second. I, <sighs> All right, that's enough of that. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, that's enough of that. but I, I think okay. So you know, where where, <laughs> wow, where that just went. That is that's yeah. incredible. But here's here's the thing, right? Is like opportunity, and and you through your connections and through your passion for the job, you've been able to make incredible relationships um, that are lifetime relationships through the commonality of understanding the importance of training for elevator and escalator emergencies, right? And yes. and what your career has also allowed you to do is to have access to places like the trade center, right? Like you, you have the abilities with your training and your connections that that's why I think that's another whole aspect of your training company and, and how, how narrow you are on what you teach because you have full access to that industry. And I think that's what sets you apart. Yeah. And uh, again, I, I, you know, putting me, myself at, at, at that, with that phrase setting me apart, uh, you know, I don't want to consider myself an expert, but yeah, but you're, you're, you're 100% right about having the contacts. Yeah. And I'll just throw out another example. Um, last year, uh, a lieutenant in uh, Rescue One, uh, Billy Ryan, uh, had approached me and he said, uh, you know, we're getting these uh, double-decker elevators that are coming in. Uh, there, there was one Vanderbilt actually down uh, right outside the Grand Central Terminal. And, right. Uh, they had these double-decker elevators, and they wanted to do a drill. And I knew the elevator mechanic that uh, ran the place and uh, made one phone call. And, uh, you know, again, Rescue One comes down, a couple of truck companies in the first two area. And we went down. And, again, it was, it was a benefit for them, but it was also a benefit for me because I was able to take pictures. Yeah. I was able to share with my students. Um, but having that, uh, having those connections, it's priceless, man. It really is priceless. And they're built, listen, man, but that's built on your built on back. Trust. I mean, your yeah. bags, blood, sweat, tears, the trust, the, yep. you know, the, the yep. brotherhood, the mutual respect for one another. I mean, you know, things like this, relationships like this aren't built overnight. No, no, it, it takes years. It takes years to have that uh, relationship built. And again, it comes from one meeting with one person and then, oh, I want to introduce you to this guy. And then you know, it just completely escalates from there, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's how I got started with the FDIC was the New York City firefighter guys, uh, the guys I knew on the job there. They, they, oh, we're going out there every year. Why don't you put a, why don't you put a class in? Yeah. I'll, I'll set you up. You can talk to Bobby Halton, you know, call Bobby Halton you know, you know, and, you, and you put in for, for the FDIC. I was like, oh, what a, what a great concept. And 
again, that's how things get started. You, you, you know one person, he introduces you to somebody else. And that's and, and I can't stress that enough. I talk about that a lot. Relationships matter. But the only way you can build strong relationships is if you're true to yourself and true to the people that you want to build relationships with. And, um, you know, I think that that is a part of the conversation that's getting lost these days is that not everybody uh, is giving each other enough time and, and, uh, and space to learn who one another is to build these relationships. I, you know, I, I look at like the relationships I've been able to build and forge forward with. And then I, I love to make those you know, relationships and bridge that gap behind me between other people so that they can make the same type of relationships. That's important to me because I think that's what this job is truly all about. And so totally. I totally agree with you. hundred percent. Yeah. And so just to kind of transition forward just a little bit, something that caught my eye on your uh, resume, you, you had sent over your bio and your resume and stuff. We were going through it. Relationships are super important. You retired off the job in Stanford as the senior man in the rescue company, which is a prestigious position. It always is. The guy, the wheel man of the rescue company is usually the most senior guy, brings a lot to the table. And the fact that you retired 28 years as a firefighter, um, I know you were acting uh, lieutenant for quite a while here and there when they needed you to. But the other thing that caught my eye was the uh, developed and delivered the deputy chief's aid training program. Uh, <laughs> So I'll tell you a little bit about that one. You, are you good um, talking I, about that? And like, yeah, yeah, no, 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 no worries. What was that laugh? That's what I want to know. What was that laugh? Because I left the rescue company for a little while. Um, I, uh, you know, um, the, uh, a chief that was uh, getting promoted, Pat Rapoti, uh, we were we were such good friends, and um, and at the time there was a, there was some transition going on in the rescue. It was a little little bit a little bit of like uh, I want to say uneasiness going on. Got it. Uh, uh, it wasn't that I wasn't I wasn't happy, but I didn't like uh, where things were going at the time. And um, he had said to me, he goes, listen, man, he goes, I'm going to, you know, you know, I'm getting promoted to deputy chiefs. He goes, would you mind coming over and being my aide for a little while? And, you know, I, it was later in my years and I, sure. I felt that I was kind of slowing down a little bit, but I, I could still hang with the guys and, and you, know, you know, do my job and, 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 and that and, and so forth. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm in the gym and I'm, I'm physically fit, but. I said to myself, you know what, maybe I'll give this a shot because I think that being an aide would help me, you know, nail the next uh, lieutenant sure. that comes out of it. You know, I'm going to learn a different aspect of the job. I'm not just inside getting dirty and uh, I'm going to be able to see what everybody's doing from the outside. You know, the truck companies, uh, are they opening up the roof? Are they doing their searches? Are they doing forceful entry right? Uh you know, the, you know, the line stretching, making sure a backup line is, is, is in place. You know, these were things that I got to see from that command post. And my father, he finished his career, um, his last six years in the 3-3 Battalion in right. Brooklyn as the chief's aide. So cool. um, I saw what he did and I, yeah. knew, I knew what the job entailed. And Pat promised me that he wasn't going to just use me as a driver. He wanted me to be involved at the fire scene, and the guy used me like I was a second chief in the car. It's awesome. So it was awesome. We had a great relationship together, and um, I and so he wanted me to take what I was doing for him and spread it to the rest of the job in that aid position mm-hmm. because it wasn't always just a, a, an assigned uh, you know deputy chief's aide that was working that position. And at one time, I got to be honest with you. The DCA's position was basically just the driver. He just got the chief to, to to the to the scene, and the chief ran the entire show: logistics, running the fire, 
uh, that was all on him. Right. And that's a tremendous amount of work and pressure. Huge task. Yeah. Huge, huge task. Mm-hmm. So, again, what I ended up doing was I used my uh, uh, contacts within, in the New York City Fire Department. I went down and I, and I, 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 I reached out to a couple of different uh, chief's aides. Uh, they showed me what they were doing. You know, basically writing a script for the aide that so he could do his, uh, you know, progress reports for the chief and the chief that didn't have to get involved with that. So he could run the fire. And, you know, again, I would take care of all the incoming units, what we had on scene, you know, what the progress was, was being made. And again, it, it came from me going to make a visit with someone who I knew who was a really damn good chief's aide. That's right. And then I ended up writing a program for Stanford. I, and I trained the re- and I trained the rest of the guys. I just took my uh, what I what I learned and knowledge, and then I put the, the deputy chief's aid program together. So many departments don't have the ability to give their chiefs, you know, whether the tour commander, battalion chief, deputy, whatever position. But a lot of chiefs don't have the uh, fortunate ability to have an aide. And what no. the aide can do, I think that I think the chief's aide is such an incredible position. And I want to yeah. do I want to do just an episode on that position with a couple guys that were in those roles. So I will be hitting you back up for this conversation That's because cool. I love I absolutely love because they are the the mutual respect in the relationship that the aide has with their chief, especially if they're really well put together as a duo. Yeah. It is powerful. Mm-hmm. It's unstoppable. And the the amount of trust I remember talking to like Mo Davis out of Houston, and he was talking about uh, his his aide and. Um, how if he if he suggests something he does it he says i trust him blindly because i know he knows how i go about these fires and we have this relationship i'll ask him afterwards why he got to that conclusion but i trust him and it's it's an incredible relationship and i think that's probably what you built too within your program was that there was yeah. this mutual uh respect and admiration for one another when you sat in the chief's buggy Oh, without a doubt. And yeah. then again, it wasn't just sitting in there. Oh, I know that. Right. right. Yeah, absolutely. You threw your gear on. Yeah, SCBA, you know, I, I recon, to, I, I all of it. Go, I would go to the C side of the building if I could get there. And That's I'd right. And his eyes and ears back there. Until, That's right. Until a safety officer showed up or until the officers got in position and let them know what the hell was going on because he couldn't see from the command post. Yeah. It's it's you an, can't see from there. It's a great position, and uh, I that caught my eye when I was going over uh, what you had sent me, and I said, "Oh, that's an interesting conversation." Because you know, to be able to develop a program around that, right? Where originally the the you called it a DCA, which is great, Deputy Chief Aide, I assume, right? DCA position. Yeah, because we don't have battalion chiefs right. in, the, in the city of Stanford. The deputy chief is the ship commander. Yeah. So I just from going from just the driver, right, and parking the vehicle and setting up the command board to an actual, you know, active role on the fire ground, uh, an operational role, I think is just uh, really cool to be able to craft a program around that. It's awesome. A hundred percent. And I got I got news for you. We never even, you know, prior to me getting the the job as as the deputy chief's aide, we didn't even have a command board. (laughs) I I, I I I used my contacts. I went to um, I went to Con Ed and I, I had a friend of mine, Jim Feeney. Um, he was huge with Con Ed, and and I knew they had the the command boards you yep. know, from the FDNY using the ones that the Con Ed gave them. Yep. And I went down to see him. I said, Jimmy, can you get me a command board? And we went out and we made all these magnetic tiles based on what the uh, the FDNY was using and what what Con Ed was doing. And we had our first command board uh, put into place back in 2014. I, I love that before. 
ev- Mike, everything we're talking about is relationship driven in this whole hour. It's all right relationships. Now. It's all relationships. relationships. And it yeah. should be said too, a lot of people listening, they don't even know who Con Ed is. Con Edison is the power company for New York City, New York the City. Metro New York yeah. City area. And they, in fact, implemented the incident command system, I think, prior to FDNY using it. And those command boards uh, came from Dude. Con Edison's uh, emergency response group. It's pretty wild. That's a cool story in and of itself right there. I'd love to. I got to fight. Now I'm going to lean on you to get me a contact at Con Ed that knows the backstory on that because that's cool. That's yeah, very I will. cool. I, I, I'll, put you, I'll put you in touch with him. He's a great guy. As a matter of fact, he's still an active member of the Tarrytown Fire Department. Oh, no um, kidding. Okay. Right yeah, I just saw him this weekend. I was doing some training with him. So we reunited our uh, our friendship again, you know, rekindled it. That's awesome. But uh, Jimmy, Jimmy Feeney, he's a, he a, he a great, great guy. He was a retired uh, you know, firefighter out of White Plains, New York. Yeah. Uh, just north of the Bronx. And then, uh, you know, he went to Con Ed right after he retired. And, That's cool. Uh, spent a lot of time. Well, good. I'm going to take, yeah, I'm going to take you up on that. Cause I'd love to, no, I'd love to pick no his problem. brain on that. So let me oh, ask no. you this. How yeah. great is the fire service? There's nothing better, man. There's nothing better. And, and, and what I can tell you is this, I, I, I thought that me retiring, I'm going to leave the fire service. Yeah. But that's not true, man. I'm yeah. still deeply engaged with it. As a matter of fact, I'm going to be more engaged with the fire service because I'm going to be visiting so many different departments, you know, through my business and uh, just to hear what other guys are doing. Um, you know, and I'll come back every once in a while and visit the guys at the firehouse. Sure. If they have me and, uh, and, uh, you know, just, to, just, to, you know, to just see what's going on and, uh, and making sure everybody's still cool. You know? I know, you know, um, through, the yeah, fire go ahead. Service, there's nothing like it. It's second to none. Yeah. I, I, I again, I, 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 at the age of five, me walking, the first time into my dad's firehouse to pick up his paycheck on a Friday afternoon, you know, Friday wow. afternoon, I was yeah. hooked, man. I was hooked. And, I, uh, you know, it's just going to take a little bit of an adjustment. Uh, Jerry. Yeah. Well, I ask you that question because I, I think that a lot of people are losing their way about it. And, and I think they that are. listening to the last hour with you and sitting here and kind of learning your story, it's, it's exactly what you said in the first 10 minutes of this podcast today about the impression the fire service left on you from an early age. And you just reiterated it again, picking up your dad's paycheck at five years old, the job left such an impression on you. And now you have left the job, but you're continuing through your management, through your rescue company, you know, your, your company and, and yep. spreading the word and still lighting, lighting the fire and, and keeping that passion fueled through delivering, you know, an important message through your training company. But man, like you're leaving the job just as much as you love the job when you came into it. I did, man. And it's going to be a hard transition, but I, I still love it. And I hope I left it better. Uh, yeah. You know, that's one of the things that was a goal of mine to, to you know, you know, you know, the old saying about, sure. you know, leave the job better than you found it. And I, and I think I did. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I still want to be able to make the job better. There's no doubt. And I'm willing and, and I and I do. I will I will share my uh, my experiences and, and, and my knowledge with anybody that's willing to listen. To I me. love that. Uh, if, if somebody has uh, you know, wants to make a phone call and talk about elevators, that's fine. If they want to talk about you know rescue or you know technical rescue, firefighting, anything, you have something you want to discuss. Uh, you know, I, I'll give my I'll give my cell phone number right now over, over the air. Yeah. Four four zero three five eight zero five. Give me a call. We'll shoot the shit. Um, I have no problem. You want to send me an email, just go to my website, click on my email address, send me an email. Um, you can text me. I don't care. Just don't call me at four o'clock in the morning when I'm sleeping. <laughs> I do have my file. I do have my phone on silent, uh, but I'm here for you guys. I'm, I'm here for the fire service and I, and I want to continue doing that until I 
take my last breath. Ah, man, that's huge. And um, I just want to say thank you for joining me today. We've been going for about an hour, and it's just been a fantastic conversation, Mike. Um, Like I said, third time's a charm putting this together. Um, It should be said, too, that, you know, you worked with my uncle very early on in your career, right? John? Ah, uh, John Dodge. He's yeah. got the same initials as you. JD. He does. He does. What and a character that guy was. I loved him, man. Yeah, and I, I can't wait to put this all together and then send him the link to it. Um, you have and to, so you I have will. To. I sir- you got to send it to his wife, Kathy. I will. Uh, you know, I, I, I have such a love for her, too. She's Kathy's, awesome. Kathy's awesome. She just, we text all the time. She's great. Um, great. But uh, just really good people. And it's just fun for me to be able to capture like today talking to you has just been a lot of fun because it it was just such a great conversation and relationships matter and and love for the job matters, man. And I just can't thank you enough for joining me today. Truly. Thank you, Jeremy. I appreciate you having me on and uh, I look forward to, you know, continuing our friendship and building it. Yeah, for sure, man. Whatever we can do to help each other, uh, that's how we roll. And you have an open invitation here. Anytime you want to come back on the show, I'd love to have you. Um, you you have an open invitation anytime because I know you have a lot more uh, tucked away in those twenty in those forty years of experience that you want to share. And um, for you to share your number today, your email, just one more time, the email address where people can get you and the website so people can go check you out. Yeah, so uh, my email address direct is mad at dragonrescue.com. Uh, the name of my uh, website is dragonrescue.com, obviously. So you can either you know send me a direct uh, email to that link, or um, you can just go visit the uh, website and just click on my email address. Uh, again, I'm going to give my cell phone number again, 914-403-5805. Hit me up. Um, I also do – I have my Facebook pages. Uh, I didn't even talk, get a chance to talk about those. But, yeah. Uh, the, the Facebook group is a phenomenal place Talk about it. to share uh, uh, so much information regarding uh, elevator emergencies. It's, it's, it's called Elevator Emergency Management. It's a closed group because uh, a lot of the stuff we share there should not be uh, shared uh, with the general public because of the nature of uh, somebody getting hurt. Um, so we uh, invite you to that closed group. You're going to have to answer a couple of questions before you get on. Um, just to make sure that you are a firefighter and that you're just not some Joe Schmo that wants to uh, you know, go elevator surfing inside the elevator shaft. I get it. Um, so we, we make sure we do that. Um, I also do uh, posts on Instagram. I don't really post a, a tremendous, tremendous amount. Of, the, the, I don't post the same information I do on the private page on Instagram because that is open to the general public. But uh, you can hit me up there at Dragon Rescue Management on Instagram. So check out those two pages. Uh, you guys will be very uh, – uh, uh, very satisfied with the information that's there because not only uh, am I uh, spouting information on there, but we have uh, ele- elevator industry uh, trade people that are also members of that group uh, awesome. that have fire service background and also in the trade. So we have a lot of information to ha- uh, share with you guys. Oh, I love it, man. Thank you for sharing all that. Um, tremendous amount. And it, and it should be said, you know, you sharing this information makes this job better. And uh, thank you, brother, for doing just that. Congratulations on retirement. And uh, I look forward to uh, meeting you and, and hooking up soon, man. It'd be great. Okay. You got it, Jeremy. Take care now. Good. Stay right here, Mike. I'm just going to sign off the podcast. I'll come right back to you. So hang out one sec, right. okay? You, you got it, brother. Great, man. Everyone, thanks for tuning in to this very powerful episode of the National Fire Radio Podcast. Mike Dragonetti, Dragon Rescue Management. Check him out. He gave you all his handles where you can find him. He is teaching and changing the game when it comes to elevator and escalator emergency response. He's the guy that you want to talk with. Thanks for tuning in. Take this conversation today. Take it back to the firehouse and talk about it because when we're talking about the job, we're making the job better. 
Send us an email, podcast at nationalfireradio.com, for any of your thoughts or ideas or comments about any of these episodes that you hear or things that you want to hear. And, um, well, we're done. We're out of here. So thanks for tuning in. We'll see you at the next one. Jeremy, National Fire Radio. National Fire Radio.